0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Chapter 23, Proverbs, Chapter 23. And just one verse, verse 23. Proverbs 23, 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy the truth and do not sell it. We live in a world that has great difficulty handling truth. Black and white, stark naked truth is uncomfortable and uncompromising. We much prefer grey areas because we can fudge in the grey areas. In the grey areas, we can make our own judgments. That's what we really prefer, if we're honest. Adam and Eve did this particular dance in the Garden of Eden. When God came to them... And confronted them with the truth that they had for the first time ever been conscious of their own nakedness. You remember how God came in the cool of the day and said, Adam, where are you? And he said, I ran and hid myself because I was naked and I was afraid. And God said in Genesis 3.11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? There's a very simple, unadorned, plain, easy-to-answer question. There's only one answer to that. Yes, that's what I did. I disobeyed you. That's what I did. That's all he had to say. Yes. But what does he do? He fudges. He doesn't like to deal with the truth. So he said, the woman you gave me. And then God spoke to Eve... She said, "The serpent has beguiled me." All they had to say was, "Yes, but it was so difficult. And we have been having difficulty with truth ever since. All recent surveys have stated that the most difficult is to handle is absolute truth, particularly with the younger generation. More and more. But this generation says there is no such thing as absolute truth. And if we say that, then we can make truth to be anything we want it to be. Put any interpretation you like on it. If it doesn't suit our lifestyle, if it doesn't suit our personal choices, if it doesn't suit our opinions, then if truth is not absolute, then you can just simply change it or twist it to suit yourself. And that's exactly what men and women are doing in the world today. They're doing things that they know is wrong, but they say, well, it's my opinion, it's how I feel, it's what I want to do, because there's no absolute truth. Everybody can do whatever they like. How did this happen? Why is this happening? Well, the simple answer is this. Once we ditch this book, Once we ditch God's word, then there is no yardstick to truth. If God's word isn't true, if this is not truth, then what is? How are we going to measure it? By my opinion, by your opinion, by anybody else's opinion? Because that's what's happening today. Once you leave the Bible aside, God's word, God's truth aside, then you can say whatever you like, and who's to argue? Because there's no measurement, there's no yardstick, there's no plumb line for truth except the word of God. This is why Isaiah said, Truth has fallen in the street. Truth is being trampled upon in the street. It's been treated as nothing. Why? To suit our lifestyles, to suit our opinions to suit our prejudices, to suit our personal thoughts. But the writer to the Proverbs says, buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy the truth. How? Where? What with? Does that mean that you go down to the Faith Mission Bookshop in Lorgan and buy a Bible? That would be truth. No, of course, that's not what it means. To buy here means to find out what it costs. Be prepared to pay the price that it costs and then make it your own. That's what the writer means when they sin buy the truth. Find out what it's going to cost, pay the price, and make it your own. Take this truth for an example. They that honor me, them will I honor, God says. That's the truth. That's a fact. That's what God stated. But what will it cost you to honor God? What price might you have to pay in order to buy that truth and to own that truth, to make that yours? Maybe if you're in business, it could be that it could cost you a sale, it could cost you a deal. It could cost you something. I remember many, many years ago before I came into ministry, uh, I was working in a Michelin tire factory in Mollusk, uh, which has since closed. And uh, my boss used to come every day at the end of my particular shift, and uh, you had to make so many units. And if you didn't get your target, he'd whisper it in your ear. He says, David, let me just put a few more in for you. I says, no, don't do that. This is when I get saved, of course. <laughs> Before I got saved, he got to put as many as he liked in. But once I got saved, I thought more about this. So I said, no, don't do that. He says, but nobody will ever know. Well, of course they'll know sometime, somewhere. Somebody's going to find out, isn't it? I mean, if he does that with everybody in the factory, (laughs) then Michelin wouldn't be producing all the tires they say they're producing. No wonder the place closed, by the way. (laughs) Because that's what was going on in the end. No wonder it shut down. So it may cost you something. What about friendships? It hmm, may cost you a friendship. Somebody may no longer want to be your friend. What about in serving God? Well, you may have to forego certain things. You may have to forego a career. Maybe not, but you may have. You maybe have to forgo some of your personal leisure things that you like to do. You just would not have time for it. You may have to forgo that. They that honor me, them will I honor. What is it going to cost? What price do you have to pay to honor the Lord? Of course, we must never forget the other side of the coin. They honor me, them will I honor. And what I have found out after many, many years walking with the Lord, that it pays more than it costs. (laughs) It pays more than it costs. God will make up to you every sacrifice you have ever made for his kingdom. And he can make it up to you in ways that you don't even know. He has plans that you don't even know about to make it up for you. In Matthew 19, (coughs) excuse me, the disciples were very concerned about giving up things for the kingdom of God. What's it going to cost me to do this? And they, they talked to the Lord about this. They said, Lord, you know, we have given up everything to follow you, everything, a lot. And that was true because they were fishermen. They gave up their livelihoods. They folded their nets. They put their boats away. They walked away from a professional livelihood. So they felt pretty good about themselves. Lord, look what we have done. We have given everything to follow you. And the Lord says, no man that has given that but will not receive in this life a hundredfold. Family, friends, everything. God will find a way to make it up to you in ways that you never imagine would be possible. And so there's a truth that if we honor God, God will undoubtedly, unquestionably honor us for what we do for him. Never ever doubt that. The devil will come along and say, if you give this up, if you do this, if you do that, you'll be the loser, you'll have less, you'll have not this, you won't have that, you'll not be able to do such and such. Close your ears to that. Say God's way is the best way. And God will bless you in ways that you never even imagined he could. Truth. By the truth. Truth is bought with the currency of faith. Hebrews 4.2. The word had to be mixed with faith. In the wilderness they did not mix the word with faith. They were full of unbelief. But truth... The word has got to be mixed with faith before it becomes real to us. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if truth is bought by faith, truth is owned by obedience. You see, there's a difference buying something and owning something. What do you mean? Well, you could buy something and then you could never use it again. Never look at it. Put it in a drawer somewhere. So owning it means that you use it, that you enjoy it, that you employ it, that it becomes your own. It's something that you do with. It's something that you have that you put to good use. That's what I mean by owning it. And truth is owned by obedience. You do something with it. Owning it means using it, enjoying it, making it your own. Here's a few things tonight that you can buy, and that you can make your own. David bought this truth. Listen to this, Psalm 37, 25. I have been young, now I'm old, yet I've never foreseen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Somehow David believed that God for the rest of his life would take care of all of his needs. You say, but he was a king. Yes, but if you read the life of David, you'll find there was times he was a king in exile. You'll find that he was a king that was being hounded by Saul and hounded by Absalom, his own son, who both wanted to kill him, who lived in a cave at a time, who lived among the Philistines at a time. But in spite of all of that, He truly believed that God would still be there for him and would meet his need. Even his seed would never beg for bread. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He spreads a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that no matter what situation you will find yourself in, that somehow or other, God will be greater than your need? That God will supply your need? That he'll find a way out of that situation? I think of Johnny Brady over there. Uh, Johnny won't mind me saying this, but you're okay, Johnny. Don't panic. But I remember years ago, Johnny... He still is. He, he, he is. He's a business of fitting kitchens and furniture and bedroom furniture and all kinds of stuff. But years ago, he worked for MFI, uh, obviously as, as a self-employed. And he had that much work coming in. There's times I'm sure he didn't know what to do with it. I mean, he didn't have to lift the phone. He didn't have to ring anybody. It was just every day he showed up, there was just work, 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 more work. And it was wonderful. But then it suddenly came to a stop, didn't it? MFI, as we all know, closed down. And so suddenly, he has no contacts. He hasn't had to phone anybody for years. He wasn't out there putting flyers through doors. He had the business coming in. And so suddenly, that's just cut off. So it's like starting all over again. Your business is just overnight, bangs, cut off. What do you do? Well, it was difficult for a time because it was like starting over again. But today, because he honored God... They that honour me, them will I honour. Because he honoured God even with his finances when it was difficult. Because he did all of that. Today he's got a thriving business and he's opened a shop down in Portadown, and he's got enough work now to keep him going. <laughs> Hardly you don't know what to do with it sometimes, but that proves that you see, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. <clears throat> David bought that truth. Philippians 4:19. My God. Shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. What a great truth. But you've got to buy it and you've got to own it. You've got to believe it, you've got to make it yours. Here's something that Paul bought in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter (laughs) 8, verse 31. Well, let me read 28 first and then to 31. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Then verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded... Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. What a truth. What a statement. Paul absolutely believed. he says, "I am persuaded. You cannot talk me out of this." I believe this wholeheartedly. It's mine. I own this. I live this way. And he, he, I mean, he wasn't speaking in a vacuum. Read what he went through. Read all the stuff that he had to face in life. Everywhere he went, he was persecuted. He was put in jail. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He, at times he was hungry. He had no food to eat, nothing. But yet in all these things, he says, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus Who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, Nothing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. The enemy of your soul will try to separate you from God. But the truth is, he can't. (laughs) He cannot do it. If he could, he would, but he can't. But we need to own these scriptures, we need to make this ours. We need to say, that belongs to me. Yes, Paul wrote it, but he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. it was good enough for him, it'll be good enough for me. Amen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And if that, what he says, next cannot do it, then nothing can do it. And nobody and nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Aren't you glad for that tonight? Here's a truth that Peter bought. 1 Peter 1 verse 7, he said that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that the genuineness of your faith, even though it be tested by fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. Peter knew what he was talking about. His faith was tested to the nth degree, was it not? Hmm. Jesus told him he would be tested. He did not believe it. Jesus said to him, before the cock crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. He still didn't believe it. But it happened. But Jesus said to him, Peter, I think this is beautiful. Knowing that he was going to face his greatest test. He says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. And when you are converted, strengthen the brethren. (laughs) I have prayed for you. Imagine Jesus saying to Peter, I have prayed for you. Don't you think Jesus gets his prayers answered? I have prayed for you that your faith doesn't fail. You say, but Peter failed. Yes, of course he failed. But did his faith fail? No. That deep down conviction and belief that was right at the very heart of his very soul, it came back. It was latent. He failed. But after that resurrection, and particularly after Pentecost, then he became a mighty, mighty man of God. The first half of the book of Acts, Peter is the main man. The second half is Paul, but the first half is Peter. He's the one who stands on the day of Pentecost. He's the one who preaches that message and gets 3,000 souls saved. Don't you think his faith was still there? Of course it was. And that's what Jesus prayed, that your faith doesn't fail. Of course we fail. We fail many times. But our faith hasn't failed. We're still here tonight, aren't we? We're still following the Lord. We're still in the house of God. We still pray. We still serve the Lord. Because her faith hasn't failed. So Peter knew exactly what he was talking about. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold at precious, Don't be tested with fire, might be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Christ. It says in the book of Job, but he knows the way that I take and when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. In the book of James it said that we are to rejoice whenever we're in a trial. (laughs) Have you mastered that yet? I don't think I've quite mastered that yet. But that's what James says. Are you in a trial? Rejoice. <laughs> hmm. Peter bought the truth about faith, not feeling. So you may be going through some difficulties. Maybe you have waxed and waned a little bit. But right down in the very Heart of hearts, your faith is still there. Your faith is still there. And it just takes a spark to bring it back. Sally's sister, for 30 years, had not been to church. But away down in the depths of her heart, there was a little bit of faith. And she came back to the Lord. John bought this truth. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this is the love of God, and this was the love of God manifested toward us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Just a little bit more. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten by him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. Notice the many times John in that short portion talks about love. In fact, that's about the third time he addresses the whole question of love. Why is that? Remember, John was the oldest of the apostles. In fact, by the time John wrote that, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and his gospel, and the revelation, by the time he did this, all the other apostles were long since dead and gone, become martyrs. So he's, he's, he's in his 90s the three gospels have been written and yet the Holy Spirit comes to John as an old old man and impresses upon him to write another gospel and three epistles and of course the great book of Revelation and if you read those particularly that first epistle you'll see that the thing he's trying to get through tell him is about this business of love and loving one another and reflecting God as a God of love through us and in us. And in his gospel that he writes, which is a beautiful, beautiful gospel, in the first 12 chapters, love is mentioned 12 times, but from chapter 13 to chapter 21, it's mentioned 44 times. Now from chapter 13 to chapter 21 is a very special time in the life of Christ. It's that period where he's coming to the end, where he's about to go on the cross. And Jesus himself in that time to his disciples is urging them to love one another because he knows that when he goes and they scatter that they're going to have to come together again. And one of the things that's going to keep them together and working together is loving one another. And so he emphasizes that. The Gospel of John, by the way, is, is unique among the Gospels. You know that the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels. That's what theologians use a big fancy word, synoptic. Optic means to see. Syn means together, to see together. And if you read the first three, you'll find that there's lots of, of, of uh, similarities in those first three Gospels. It almost seems they're repeating themselves in a lot of places. But when you move to the Gospel of John, it's entirely different. This doesn't start off with any genealogy. There's no Christmas story. There's no baptism. There's no man of transfiguration. There's no parables. There's just a very few miracles that are mentioned as signs. It's very, very different. Why? Because it's mainly concerned with the, practically the last period of Jesus' life. That's what John really, really wants to highlight. And Jesus, in that final period, he's doing everything he can to instill into them servanthood, loving one another, serving one another. That's what he's trying to do. Even, you remember, at the last supper, what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. He's showing them what true love really is. It's a practical thing. And when you begin to read through even that beautiful gospel of John you will see that love is one of the... I've been even reading his great prayer in John 17, you'll see that coming through again and again. So John, who called himself, by the way, that disciple whom Jesus loves. Five times he calls himself that. That disciple whom Jesus loves. He could have said that disciple that loves Jesus... And he did, but he didn't. He says, that disciple whom Jesus loves. The thing that motivated John, the thing that encouraged John, the thing that strengthened John was the fact that he knew that Jesus loved him. Hallelujah. And that's a great encouragement to us, to know that Jesus loves me. Yes, he loves all of his children, but he loves me. Yes, with all my faults, with all my feelings, with all my weaknesses, with all my personality traits that sometimes drives people nuts, like you have too that drives other nuts, in spite of that, he still loves me. And if you make that truth your own, it makes such a difference to know that Christ loves me. What a great truth. And that's what John bought. And you know, when he was coming to the end of his life, remember now, the church has moved on. In fact, this is the third generation of the church by the time John's writing this. And all the things that, that Paul and Peter said was going to happen in the church, that Paul says, grievous wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. False teachers would come in. False professions would be made. False teaching would, be, would abound. All of that was happening in John's day. And what does he do? He writes for the church to love one another. Whenever Matthew wrote his gospel, he was writing to the Jews. When Mark wrote his gospel, he was writing to the Romans. And whenever Luke wrote his gospel, he was writing to the Greeks. But when John wrote his gospel, he was writing to the church. The Holy Spirit wanted a gospel for the church. And at the heart of John's gospel... In the heart of John's teaching is to love one another. That doesn't mean we can't disagree with one another. That doesn't mean to say we'll bug the life out of each other from time to time. But we're to love one another. And if we love one another, we can forgive one another, can't we? John brought this truth, and you can buy it, and you can own it too. Job bought this truth. Job 13, 15 Though God slay me Yet I will trust him This is a biggie Though God slay me Yet I will Trust him Now again, Job's not writing The vacuum either If Job had wrote that And nothing had happened in his life Only blessing, he would have said Well, so what? It's easy to say that But Job says that after his whole world had fallen apart, after his whole world had imploded, after he had lost everything, all of his money, all of his possessions, all of his herds, all of his servants, his seven sons, his three daughters, all killed, all died. His wife said, curse God and die. She turned against him. He took sick. He had boils from head to toe. It couldn't possibly get any worse for the man. And yet, in spite of all of that, he says, even if God slays me, he says, I'll still trust him. I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening. I cannot get my head around this. I can't even begin to know why this is happening to me. But I'll tell you this, even if God slays me, I'll still trust him. That's some truth, isn't it? And you know that got Job through. In spite of all that the man was facing, in spite of not having the hindsight that we have, we can read his story. We know exactly what we know what was happening behind the scenes because we've got the story here. We know how the devil came and had this argument with God and how God says, well, that's okay. Uh, I'll remove the hedge. I'll let you do this and let you do that and let you do the other, but only let you go so far. We know all of that, but he didn't know that. He had no idea what was going on. Everything, he, almost in a, in a day, everything that was precious to him was gone in a day and yet he says even if God was to kill me I still trust him what a statement eh? have we not a tendency when things go wrong to say why don't we all do that why how come why did this happen to me at this time can't understand it don't know what's going on can't see the big picture Can't see any light at the end of this particular tunnel. Those are the things that go through your mind. But if we can say that, Job, even if God was to slay me, I'll still trust him. And I shall come forth as gold, he says. (laughs) What a statement. Can we make that truth our own? Can we make that belong to us? I suppose we'll never know. Until something happens, until we're put to the test, then we'll know. He was put to the test and he rose to the occasion. You know, right at the end of the book of Job, right at the very end of it, listen to what it says. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. And all his brothers and all his sisters and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him with all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each one a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He had also had seven sons and three daughters. And then it goes on, naming them who they were and so forth. And it says, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Glory to God. Didn't understand everything. Hadn't got the New Testament. Didn't know what we know today. But yet he says, Lord. Didn't know the devil was attacking him. But he says, Lord, even if you kill me, you can't stop me trusting you. (laughs) Isn't that a great statement? We have the New Testament. We know the Lord Jesus We have his Holy Spirit. We have the Bible. How much more then could we not say that? Hmm? So let me finish by saying this. Writer of the Proverbs says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy the truth and do not sell it. How do you sell it? Well, if you buy it by faith... And you own it by obedience. Then you can sell it by unbelief, and you can lose it by disobedience. It's the polar opposite, isn't it? We can sell it by compromise, mm-hmm. by telling a lie, or being weak-willed. We can sell it because of our flesh. Esau come in from the field. His brother Jacob was cooking supper. Ah, Smelt the lentil soup. And he says, give me a bowl of that good lentil stew, for I'm about to die. That was a big exaggeration, wasn't it? Sometimes we say, I'm starving to death. No, we're not. We just missed our supper. And Jacob, being crafty, says, in effect, what's it worth to you? Would you give me your birthright for it? He never even thought twice. He says, what use is that to me? I'm about to die. Give me that soup. Give me that stew. (laughs) And for a bowl of lentils, he sold his birthright. All the blessings of the firstborn son, all the double portion, he gave it all away because of his flesh and how many because of their flesh for one night of illicit passion they lost everything David looking out over his balcony sees Bathsheba bailing and he lost so much for one night of passion The sword never left his house from that day to the day he died. Yes, God continued to bless him. Yes, he was a great king. But he paid a great amount because he couldn't overcome his flesh. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Judas is the example of ultimate greed and personal gain. He sold Jesus out because of his personal gain and greed. Imagine. Imagine the very Son of God who just hours before had actually stooped down and washed his feet. I mean, if that wouldn't speak to you. Even when he intimated that there was, there was one among them who was unclean if that didn't speak to him so many opportunities for him to repent but he didn't take it, he had gone too far, he had sold himself out here was truth, the embodiment of all truth even to the point in the garden where he kissed his cheek he kissed the very door of heaven but he couldn't go in Buy the truth and do not sell it. Sometimes we're willing to accept less than the truth if it inconveniences us, if it's going to cost us something. But the writer says, don't sell the truth. Buy it, own it, make it yours, but don't ever sell it. Don't do that. And if we don't do that, and if we buy the truth and we own the truth, then we'll have the blessings. We can own all of these truths that these men live for. We can make them ours, mine. Amen? Let's pray. Pilate stood before Jesus and he says, what is truth? Staring him right in the face, and he couldn't see it. But we've got it. We have him as our Savior, and we have this book that is absolutely packed with truths to help us live our lives in the light of it. Lord, we give you thank for this book. We thank you for the promises, for the precepts, for the truth that it unfolds. Or help us, Lord, to make them ours. Help us to buy it and own it and live by it and live for it. Mm. So we give you thanks for all you've done for us, for what you mean to us, for what you will yet do through each of us as we give our lives to you continually. So we bless you. We return thanks to you for everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk.